You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Another random violent stranger attack in downtown Vancouver. This time it happened at Howe and Davy. Vancouver police say a woman was followed into the lobby of her apartment building. And Ahmad Agahi joins us now live. Ahmad, this was obviously terrifying for the woman, but police are praising bystanders who jumped in to help. Yeah, Chris, there were six to eight bystanders who were able to help this victim, but police also tell us that at one point she was left to fight off her attacker alone, and she did so courageously. There's obviously video of uh, this uh, attack, but video that is uh, too sensitive for television tonight. But we will show you a screenshot uh, to show you the size difference between this victim and uh, her attacker. There's also video by someone showing the aftermath of the assault that happened yesterday at around 6 o'clock at night. The VPD saying the victim had just walked into the lobby of her apartment building near Davie and House Streets when a, a man followed her in, threw her to the ground and assaulted her. A police saying the 29-year-old woman fought back and she was eventually able to run out of the building only to have the attacker follow her. And luckily, that's when a group of bystanders were able to tackle the suspect and hold him down until officers arrived. Can't say enough about the courageousness of the victim. Can't say enough about the bravery of the bystanders who got involved, who did the right thing, who grabbed this guy and held him until police arrived. We made it outside. Some other people helped us um, take him down, get him on the ground and hold him down. And yeah, it's super disturbing. Like, I'm still shaking today. It was 24 hours ago and I'm still like mortified. I don't even really have words to describe like seeing that. Now the victim obviously shaken up but not seriously hurt. Now police telling us the man they have arrested is 19 year old Bryce Michael Flores Bebbington. He's known to them and he's been charged with assault and uttering threats. All right Ahmad charges have been laid. Where is the suspect now? Interestingly enough, Chris, police mentioned a couple of times today that they had recommended he stay in custody before uh, until his first court appearance, but it was ultimately a decision the courts made to release him back out to, into the public. And of course, you can imagine people here hearing that news are really unsettled tonight. Disappointing for the victim, especially, too. Thanks very much, Ahmad. Well, the integrated homicide investigation team has been called in following a fatal shooting in Richmond. RCMP say two men were shot last night just after 11 in the 7,000 block of Sunnymead Crescent in what they believe is a targeted incident. One of the men was taken to hospital with gunshot wounds while the other man died from his injuries. The area has been closed off while IHIT investigates. Anyone with information on the shooting is asked to contact IHIT. The battle over the growing tent city along Vancouver's Hastings Street could be going to court. As Krista Dow reports, lawyers representing some of the encampment's residents are asking for a judicial review of a fire department order to remove potentially flammable hazards. It is a snapshot of what homeless advocates say is a visible manifestation of the government's failure to help people get off the streets. But despite that, they claim this tent city along Hastings Street is a safer place to live than most. People are profoundly frustrated that 
government actors continue to weaponize safety against them. In late July, Vancouver Fire Chief Karen Fry issued an order for the tent city to clear out, citing catastrophic risk to life and property. It's removing the structures and the tents and the combustible materials from against and near the building. Spry's order now being challenged in the courts. Two women in the sprawling encampment petitioning for a judicial review, claiming Fry didn't properly consider or weigh the consequences of the order on tent city residents. We have two problems. First, there aren't enough spaces, even if people wanted to move inside right now. But secondly, we don't really have any reason to believe people will be more fire safe in side of existing SRO stock. Their argument, there's safety in numbers, especially on the streets. So people feel much safer surrounded by people who have, an, by, you know, friends and community members who have an eye on them. In recent months, there have been several fires inside SROs or low-income housing right along Hastings Street. This one on Saturday, a gas line ignited with flames shooting up in the back alley. Nearby, tents pitched right by the fire. Downtown Eastside advocates are acknowledging the extreme fire risk, but say they are taking preventative action, even appointing eight fire captains. So we've distributed countless fire extinguishers through the tent city. In the past two weeks alone, um, our fire captains have put out five fires in the tent city uh, in a time like far quicker than it would take for the fire department to respond. Both the city and Vancouver's fire chiefs say they are aware of the suit and are reviewing it at this time. Krista Dow, Global News. BC's ambulance paramedics are the latest union at the bargaining table and the timing is critical as the ambulance service struggles with a province-wide staffing crisis. Paramedics continue to leave the profession for higher paying jobs elsewhere or simply because they are burned out. Catherine Urquhart has more on what the union is calling for. In a hotel conference room in Richmond, a team of negotiators with BC Ambulance Paramedics prepares for a bargaining session with their employer. That precarious model was introduced about 50 years ago and has not been changed. It's a critical set of negotiations. The system is strained like never before, and the public is demanding improvements. We haven't uh, specifically tabled a, a, a wages and benefits, but right now we're about 30% behind, like I said, police and fire, um, which, you know, depending on where you look at, they're, they're upwards of $100,000. A base paramedic is anywhere from seventy dollars to $75,000. Over the past few years, BC paramedics have been dealing with an ongoing opioid crisis, a pandemic, and a record-breaking heat wave. Increasing pressure has led to staff shortages and delays. And then the pain, you know, kicking in, and then the anxiety that you call the ambulance and, you know, the first round they don't show up. Ten hours is not a reasonable length of time. I'm optimistic we can get a deal pretty quick, and that's what the public wants, that's what our members want. And we need to stabilize the ambulance service and not and move away from these the distractions and get the real solutions on the table. Bargaining between the two sides is set to continue for the next two weeks. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Global News requested comment on negotiations from the Health Employers Association of BC, which is bargaining for the employer. So far, they have not responded. Another frightening example of the current paramedic delays in BC. This one left a hockey player lying on the ice for nearly an hour. 
During a BCHL game in Prince George on Saturday, 19-year-old Vernon Vipers center Will Blackburn went headfirst into the boards. He was kept immobilized on the ice as everyone waited for paramedics, but it took 50 minutes for an ambulance to arrive, and only after the Spruce Kings announcer went to the hospital himself to track down some paramedics. What I've never seen before is an ambulance take that long. I've seen a game delayed by about 15 minutes for the arrival of the ambulance and the removal of the player, but I've never seen it take more than 15, 20 minutes. So we're seeing three. 30 to 50% of our ambulances, uh, you know, we talk about Prince George, but even the rural communities around that are not staffed on a daily basis. So a lot of communities that have two ambulances are down to one, like Quinnell. Thankfully, a battery of tests showed that Blackburn was not seriously injured, and he was able to join his teammates for the bus back to Vernon. Well, BC nurses say they are also overwhelmed by the current workload and are seeking a lifeline. The provincial government released its plan to support our health care system, and the changes include expanding the role of pharmacists and first responders. But as Richard Zussman explains, there's no change so far for nurses in BC who are also experiencing burnout. Two days of shortness of breath. Burnt out, short-staffed and asking for help. The workload is so significant. Where one nurse would be looking after four patients, now they are looking after 8, 10, 12. BC nurses expressing frustration over the latest attempt to cure an ailing health care system. A human resources plan with no new resources to solve an ongoing nurses shortage. The latest figures from the spring show 4,265 open nursing jobs in the province, with a staffing shortage expected to grow to 26,000 nurses by 2031. There's not enough nurses going through the school, so we need to see more seats. We've led the country in new registered nurses since I've been Minister of Health, led the country. And that's, I know, cold comfort for people who are struggling through difficult shifts. Hospitals in chaos. The health care crisis dominating question period Monday, the first day of the fall legislative session. Health Minister Adrian Dix insistent the province is working towards solving the crisis, pointing to changes made to accreditation and improvements to retention as ways the province is supporting nurses. And we intend to do more. In addition, I think, we have to take uh, even more steps to make uh, workplaces a better place to work and a safer place to work. The health care crisis, clearly a big issue and question period here at the legislature. The B.C. Liberals tapping into some political theatre, calling on Minister Dix to resign. The system has actually taken advantage of, of nurses in the sense that they're all giving people. They want to do the right thing. But the repeated calls for overtime, more work, etc., is burning out our nurses. The B.C. Liberal Party presumably sees uh, that focus is important. I'm focused on improving care for patients. Nurses are starting the bargaining process this week, calling for proper staffing ratios and addressing violence towards nurses, along with the straight-up shortage. With these big problems and no quick solution, expect the topic to continue to dominate this place. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, B.C.'s electoral boundaries may soon be changing. The commission in charge of the electoral map is hoping to rearrange it. To tell us what that means, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria. What are we looking at uh, in these proposed changes, Keith?
basically more politicians, Sophie. So after every second election, we strike an independent uh, boundaries commission that adds ridings because our population continues to increase. 500,000 or 300,000 more British Columbians in the last five years alone. So here's their report today. Here's their, it's a preliminary report. Here's their preliminary recommendation. Six new ridings, six new MLAs. Where are they going to be located? Most in Metro Vancouver. Vancouver's in the central part of the city, the central part of Surrey. Burnaby New West that would have a new riding as well. Also in Langley, uh, the north part of Langley, Langford over here on the island just outside of Victoria, and finally one more seat in Kelowna. So six new ridings uh, are proposed and will likely go ahead. Uh, we don't see the, the government or the opposition usually disagree on something like this, so I think this one's a pretty safe call. Impact, Keith, might this have on the outcome of the next election? Well, it depends when that election is going to be held, because right now it doesn't look like uh, this can be implemented before, realistically, the fall of 2023. So, uh, again, in terms of the, um, uh, the the potential outcome, in terms of where these writings are affected the most, the NDP, there's about three or four NDP strongholds, only one Liberal stronghold. So these writing changes, I think, would favor the NDP, at least on paper. All right, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. Thanks, Keith. Well, the smell of smoke still persists across the lower mainland today from a wildfire burning in Minicotta Park in Coquitlam. It broke out on Saturday, and while fire crews are slowing the spread, it hasn't been easy. Joining us with more is reporter Grace Key. And Grace, officials believe the fire was human-caused, so that's a reminder to be careful out there, and it's very dry. Yeah, and because of those dry conditions, they expect these firefighting efforts to go on for a few more days here. Now, at this hour, you can see uh, most of that smoke activity behind me here is just behind that knoll. A lot less smoke, though, compared to yesterday. Crews have been successful at slowing the spread of the fire at the Minicotta Regional Park in Coquitlam, though it's still not contained. It's held overnight, spanning 12 hectares, but it's still in a spotty location. It's very steep terrain, very dangerous terrain for our crews, and that's been one of the hurdles that we've had to tactically work through. Um, A, to keep our, um, our staff and responders safe, while fighting this fire, but also to protect the public. Metro Vancouver and BC Wildfire Service are battling the blaze with five helicopters bucketing out of the Pitt River and dropping thousands of gallons of water hourly onto the flames. More than 50 people are on the ground. As for the smoke that's blanketing the area, residents say they seem to be breathing a little easier. I he live here in Maple Ridge. Um, I noticed yesterday it was really smoky compared to today, the smell especially. Um, Looks like though today it's died off a little bit. You could actually like feel it, it was more noticeable, but uh, like today it was it's just another day. I have a breathing problem so it sort of like comes and goes. <laughs> I can tell you the air quality within in about 10 yards of walking. So. The fire started on Saturday and is believed to be human caused. With continued dry weather in the forecast, battling this blaze is expected to be a multi-day operation. It's been a prolonged um, dry season um, where we've seen uh, very warm weather, very little precipitation in the region over the past few weeks, and um, the forecast is calling for more warm weather next week as well. So um, when the public are out, outdoors enjoying our, our beautiful parks, um, please be vigilant and cognizant of the fire danger and fire risk that exists. 
Now, this is a very popular park. A lot of people here uh, going on these trails. So as for the damage, Metro Vancouver says this is mostly a ground fire and they haven't been seeing a lot of activity burning in the canopy there. So that's good news for the park users. Chris, we'll take it. All right. Thanks very much. Grace Key reporting from Coquilla. Well, knowing your rights as an air passenger can really pay off. Consumer Matters comes to the rescue of a man whose luggage wasn't lost, it was destroyed. And the airline's offer of compensation felt like another violation. That's next on the News Hour. An emotional day in New West with the demolition of a Canada Games landmark. Why the old pool is being torn down later. And coming up in sports, after a win they really needed, what the Whitecaps coach has to say about the team's playoff chances. Right now, though, an Air Canada customer is speaking out about the nightmare he experienced when Air Canada didn't lose but destroyed his luggage. He made a claim but was deeply unsatisfied by the response. And where an Air Canada refused to budge, he reached out to Consumer Matters for help. So let's bring in Andrua with more. And Thanks, Sophie. An airline is liable for any damage to check baggage from the moment the baggage is handed over to the airline until you get it back. That's why Ori Wolk was so shocked when he wasn't properly compensated for his damaged bag. Air Canada had told him it was pretty much case closed until Consumer Matters started to investigate. This is what's left of Ori Wolk's carry-on bag that was in the care of Air Canada. His luggage nightmare began back in March when he flew business class with Air Canada to Israel. On his return flight home from Montreal to Ottawa, Ori says he was told by an Air Canada agent the plane to Ottawa had minimal storage capacity and it would be best if he checked in his carry-on bag. So I said, sure, you know, we'll do it. But when he landed in Ottawa, Ori was in for a shock. He said, we got some bad news for you on the... They showed me there's your bag and it was in a big plastic bag. Ori was speechless. His carry-on bag and its contents destroyed. Electronics, prescription glasses, bank documents and precious family photos shredded and soaked. They said it got caught in a conveyor belt. Ori says he was told not to worry and to start a claim. So he did, writing Air Canada immediately, outlining in detail the value of the damaged bag and personal belongings, which added up to well over $1,000. But days later, Air Canada responded to Ori, stating after evaluating his claim, an e-transfer in the amount of $180 would be issued along with 15% off his next flight as a goodwill gesture. They said this is our final response. Do not reply to us anymore. Air passenger rights advocates say treating passengers this way is a clear violation of the law. While the airline was supposed to be guarding your bag, they failed to do so because it was damaged by the conveyor belt. So they're liable up to about 2300 Canadian dollars. Consumer Matters reached out to Air Canada on Ori's behalf, asking why he wasn't being fairly compensated. One day after we reached out, Ori says he received an apology from Air Canada and told an e-transfer of over $1,000 would be issued. He would also receive a $300 Air Canada coupon for his next flight. Yeah, they literally, literally closed my case and thanks to Consumer Matters, they reopened it. So I, I really appreciate it. Air Canada's statement, though, to Consumer Matters was short on details. We can confirm this passenger submitted a total claim for $180, which was fully paid and therefore considered resolved. Air Canada has since contacted the customer again.
But Ori says the claim was never resolved and was surprised by Air Canada's statement to Consumer Matters since he had carefully outlined all his damages and their value to the airline from the very beginning, which exceeded over $1,000. It's actually kind of alarming in a way. Still, Ori says he'll fly with Air Canada, but hopes this is one incident that will never happen again. Now, if you find yourself in a similar situation, know your rights and document everything. Keep a record of all your paperwork, take photos and keep your receipts. Air passenger rights advocates say if the airline doesn't give you proper compensation, don't give up and don't be afraid to assert your rights. They suggest taking the airline to small claims court. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Excellent result. Okay, thanks very much, Ann. As people continue to navigate their way back to the office, one institution is reimagining the future of the workplace, changing it in ways that benefit the employer and the employee. Morgan Campbell shows us how. It is hard to believe these images of Toronto at a standstill were taken nearly three years ago, when the pandemic forced many out of the office and into their homes. Over the past several months, offices have begun waking up and they are looking a little different. I have three kids and so we are really busy and so it does allow me the opportunity to schedule around their activities and my other commitments with the family. These employees are working under a hybrid model at George Brown College, meaning they work a few days a week in the office and out of the office. There's 140 uh, bookable desks that you can book from home using uh, the new Wave Workspace app that we've, uh, we've used for this space. And those desks service 250 employees. This is George Brown College's new Future of Work building, toured by Mayor John Tory Monday. I think I'm good. It is a pilot project that explores how physical, technological and ergonomic workspaces can support hybrid workers. Not only are we focused on teaching and learning, um, but we're also uh, focused on how we support our local communities. Information gleaned from the pilot project will be shared with Toronto's business community. Ensuring that you can provide the necessary flexibility and then the tools and work environment that's going to attract, retain and motivate the best people, those are the organizations that are going to win. People like Dave Scott, who says this model provides a better work-life balance. Is that ability to not only have the ability to go into an office where you can be productive, but also not, not be in the office and be productive at home. Morgan Campbell, Global News. Up next, families of missing and murdered women demand better. I'm screaming to people like something's happened and it's getting dismissed. The push for systemic changes in policing. And gone in 20 seconds, a lightning-fast attempted catalytic converter theft caught on camera. Coming up. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash involving a train and a semi-truck here in Surrey on Tannery. That's just north of Highway 17 at Timberland Road. Through charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a train that hit a semi-truck in Surrey.
In Canada, Indigenous females are at higher risk than others for death or disappearance. Families with first-hand experience of that are now speaking out against what they call police negligence. As Kylie Stanton reports, they're pushing for sweeping changes to the handling of cases of missing Indigenous women and girls. She had such a deep compassion. Lives cut short, leaving families searching for answers. It's the story of 20-year-old Tatiana Harrison, whose remains were found on a boat in Richmond last May. She deserves so much more than this world was willing to offer her. But it would be another three months before police would confirm they were indeed hers. I'm screaming to people like something's happened and it's getting dismissed and falling on deaf ears. It's not fair to our families to have to suffer. Harrison is one of five women speaking out about their lost loved ones, including 24-year-old Chelsea Poorman, whose body laid near a Vancouver mansion for more than a year. Her death was not deemed suspicious. There's Noelle Soup, who was 13 years old when she vanished while in ministry care. Her decomposing remains discovered months later in a downtown east side SRO. And Ramona Wilson, a 16-year-old who was last seen in Smithers, B.C. back in 1994. Her case remains unsolved. I guess it's the acknowledgement of all of our cases and the similarities of them is also to um, bring awareness of what exactly is going on. All of the women were Indigenous and relatives say the investigations have been fraught with negligence, discrimination and lack of accountability on the part of authorities. And to sum it up, Indigenous women represent over 40% of all homicides despite only making up 5% of all women in the country. In a statement, the BCRCMP called these cases part of an ongoing national tragedy, adding we are learning from our past mistakes and working hard to overcome historical interactions that have left prolonged feelings of being dismissed. The Vancouver Police Department, on the other hand, failed to even acknowledge the news conference, instead defending its work on the cases, saying the Vancouver Police Department consistently solves more more than 99% of missing persons cases. They were pushing for change 20 years ago, and sadly, I hate to say it, but there's more to come if things don't change. Kylie Stanton, Global News. RCMP in the South Okanagan are keeping tight-lipped about an investigation into the deaths of two people. On Saturday, police were called to a rural property in Oliver near the Loose Bay Campground on Seacrest Hill Road. When they arrived, they found two people dead inside a travel trailer. RCMP's General Investigations Unit, Forensic Identification Services, along with the BC Coroner Service, are all investigating. Police say it's not yet known if criminality is involved, and they're not releasing any other details about the case. Some wild video now that shows how bold thieves are becoming, attempting to steal catalytic converters. It happened early Sunday morning in the 900 block of Birchbrook in Coquitlam. A van backs up to a parked vehicle. The driver gets out and ties a tow strap to the underside of the car. And just a few seconds later... He takes off. Now, the attempted theft was unsuccessful. The catalytic converter was left behind, but there is undoubtedly serious damage to it and to the vehicle. And as you can see, the noise also ended up scaring a cat out of the nearby bushes. Police are investigating. Coming up, crackdown at an Iranian university. How the violence at Sharif University. It's very
very close to home here in BC. And in health news, how knowledge is key to survival as we mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel tonight. Keep in mind, though, there is overnight road work just south of the tunnel at the Highway 17A overpass. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Iranian Canadians in B.C. are growing more concerned about new video emerging from Iran, appearing to show a police crackdown on student protests. And as Negar Mojtahedi reports, it's part of the worldwide outrage over the death of a 22-year-old woman allegedly at the hands of Iran's oppressive regime. A university under attack. Students running for their lives as gunshots ring out. Video shows them trapped in a parking lot of Sharif University by forces who appear to be Iran's militia, barricading all entry and exit points. The latest in a deadly clampdown on nationwide protests that were ignited by the death of Masa Amini, but have transformed into a fight for human rights. The elite university, known as Iran's MIT, exports some of the country's brightest minds to Canada and around the world. Watching the scenes of violence unfold on social media, Iranian-Canadian Sushant Zanganapur is overcome by a range of emotions. It's very, very difficult to, to watch too much of it. But it's videos like this. Zanganapur says need to be shared. There's countless examples of them being taken away with, with bags over their heads. I'm sorry. And God knows what's going to happen to these kids. They're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that are going out into the street to demand their basic rights, to fight for their sisters, their cousins, their, their mothers who are subjected to prejudice laws for 43 years. Amir Bajikian is an alumni of Sharif's Aerospace Engineering, now living in Vancouver. He says he's watching in horror. These are the people who should build that land, and you're destroying that future. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tweeting that he's sanctioning more senior Iranian officials in response to the crackdown. But Zhang Anapur says there's more that needs to be done. All the regime officials that have family members here in Canada, they're... Assets need to be seized, they need to be deported, they need to be sent out of this country. Canada cannot be a safe haven for human rights abusers and criminals. Don't let us uh, fight this ruthless regime all by ourselves. For now, residents of Tehran appear to be surrounding the university and yelling, free the students, vowing to stand guard as the anti-regime protests enter week three. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. Well, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, highlighting the reality that one in eight women in Canada will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. A recent survey of more than 1,500 Canadians shows many people don't have enough awareness or knowledge around breast cancer diagnosis or treatment. 
It indicates 60% of Vancouver residents diagnosed with breast cancer felt unprepared upon receiving the news of breast cancer for themselves or loved one. This group wants to eliminate the disconnect that Canadians have with the disease through their awareness campaign in downtown Vancouver this afternoon. With the ribbons, um, it's just a symbol. And with our cards, it has a QR code to directly take you to the link to donate online. The Canadian Cancer Society will match any donation during the month of October up to $25,000. And still to come for us, a relic from the 1973 Canada Games is demolished. It's exciting to see the new one going up, but there's also a sense of passing time. Why replacing the old pool was seen as the only option and how some people still don't agree. And in sports with the regular season quickly approaching, an update on Brock Besser's hand injury. Well, the summer stretch continues well into fall. Let's bring in uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at this incredible forecast, Christy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's certainly a uh, concern because of drought. Agriculture certainly needing the water and uh, there is potential for some adverse effects on the ecosystem. But uh, yeah, it's been sensational. Let's be honest. And we have again, like I, I thought I would come back to work on a Monday and think that, oh, no, it's going to be different. We're all of a sudden going to see a change in the pattern. But we don't have a change in the pattern. And yesterday we broke 25 records across the province. And today, likely another couple of dozen. Here's a look at some of the top ones from today with Port Alberta hitting close to 29 degrees, Abbotsford 28, Merritt close to 28, and Pitt Meadows also rounding up to 28. Incredible heat, and we have the potential for record-breaking conditions as we head into next weekend. Now this heat and the smoke, of course, in the from the Coquitlam fire, that is producing air quality concerns. It seems to be a bit better during the morning hours, but it gets worse during the day to a moderate risk. Now we are expecting fog tomorrow morning and a little bit of cloud cover passing, but overall we've got this dominant an upper level ridge that is looking like it will hold right through next weekend. So we're talking about another seven days of this. Again, fog in the morning, sunshine in the afternoon, temperatures are good 8 to 12 degrees above seasonal for this time of year. So for our region, 24 degrees away from the water tomorrow and again on Wednesday. But by Thursday, Friday and Saturday, we could warm up once again to close to record breaking temperatures where areas away from the water could be seeing 26 degrees and we could see that uh, through the weekend. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from the Kananaskis area. I know it's not BC, but you know what? We'll take it when you have a beautiful scene like that. Spray Lake, thank you to Helen O'Neill for sharing that one with us. Combination of that summer and fall, as you can see. So, so glassy, that reflection. That's a gorgeous yeah. spot. And, and maybe in Alberta, at that higher elevation, you'll feel like wearing a sweater, but I have not, like, fall clothes and sweaters. Sweater. I was wearing shorts. No. I wore yeah. shorts the, on the weekend. You, we should be at the beach. Mm -hmm. That's what that forecast is like. <laughs> All right, Squire standing by now and a look ahead to sports. I'm thinking about Squire on a beach. You, <laughs> don't do that. Are you much of a, don't don't do that right? because people are eating right now. Oh, come on. So don't make no, them just, think about me at the beach. Just you take 60 SPF. <laughs> Unless I'm wearing this, then maybe it's not so bad. Okay, 
So uh, because of their win, we're talking about the Whitecaps against Austin on Saturday and all the other fortunate events that happened around them, the Vancouver Whitecaps can still make the playoffs. And now it's the scenario that we were dreaming of a few weeks ago and now we're in, so it's good. In fact, all Vancouver has to do is beat Minnesota on Sunday. Do that and Vanny and the Whitecaps have rallied. Good luck to them and later diving into a new era, a sentimental goodbye to the historic Canada Games pool. All right, Squires here. Uh, the Whitecaps like to keep things interesting. Yeah, <laughs> make it exciting for the fans. Right to the last day. I don't know how they did it, but they've done it. Vanny Sartini and the Whitecaps, as you remember, crawled out of the wreckage of a bad start last year and made the playoffs, and they're on the verge of doing it again this year. All the planets aligned the right way over the weekend. Everybody that the Whitecaps were hoping would lose did and Vancouver beat Austin FC 2-0, one of the best teams in the West at BC Place. It means the Whitecaps just have to win their final game against Minnesota to make the playoffs. And if they do, this coming weekend, when the game against Minnesota is being held, will be even better for Vanny than the past weekend. Fantastic weekend. So uh, we played very well. The results also went in our favor. So... And now it's the scenario that we were dreaming of a few weeks ago, and now we're in, so it's good. Keep it alive. A month ago, the Vancouver Whitecaps barely had a pulse, let alone a playoff heartbeat. But now, after three impressive home victories and a couple key outcomes on the out-of-town scoreboard, a Vancouver win in Minnesota on Sunday afternoon, and the Caps are playoff-bound. You need to deserve luck. And you need to deserve that the, the, the thing are going in, in your favor, basically. And uh, I think we deserved it with uh, three fantastic performances. It's ahead to Ryan Gold. Can he cut it back for Cavallini? He does! The challenge for the Whitecaps come the weekend is twofold. They somehow have to find a way of replicating what they've done at BC Place on the road, where they've struggled all season long. It's like they've been two different sides. Ten wins at home, just two on the road. The Caps' last road victory coming in Dallas back in June. But timing is everything. Vancouver gets a Minnesota side that's winless in six, having just been upset by the last place San Jose. So if they can keep the fine form that we've seen of late, making the playoffs suddenly becomes reality. Uh, the most important thing in that game will be for me to stay in the game from minute one, like we did lately. Like a, a theme during the season was our, was our slow start and then playing catch-up during the game. Uh, I think that uh, that's something that we sh have to avoid next week because, again, playing in their stadium, they're going to have a lot of fans pushing them, especially at the beginning, so we have to match their intensity from the start. I think that that will be the, the message during the week. Let's try to enjoy the moment because uh, the alternative would have been having a very boring and bad mood week because we were already out. So we have to go there, do our job, be fully concentrated, but not be overwhelmed. And because if we do our task, then the output will take care of itself. Vancouver Canucks are playing an exhibition game in Edmonton tonight, and the Orders have put out an NHL lineup complete with McDavid and Dreisaitl and Jake Vertanen. 
who's uh, trying to make the orders but hasn't done a lot to impress them so far. He's already played four exhibition games and he has no points at all. The Canucks are going to look more like the Abbotsford Canucks and the Vancouver Canucks. No Pedersen, no JT Miller, no Quinn Hughes, no Bo Horvat, no Thatcher Demko. Most of the big names stayed home. One of them that did come, or at least one of the regulars that came, was Vasily Pod Coles. And oh, there's Jake right there, tripping Brady Keeper. That's not going to help you make the team either. Canucks on one of the power plays in the first period. Christian Wolanin hits the crossbar. Jack Campbell's in goal. The Oilers' new number one in the Nets gets a bit lucky there. There was only one goal in the first period, and it was against Bruce Boudreaux's team, Dylan Holloway, former first-rounder of the Oilers, played last year in their AHL team, deflects in this shot from Darnell Nurse, and it is 1-0 after the first period. So what about Brock Besser? How's he doing in his recovery from hand surgery? He injured it during training camp. He was expected to miss the first week or two of the regular season, but let's hear from Bruce Boudreau to see if there's still a timetable or what is the timetable. Maybe it's improved, maybe it hasn't, and also get an update on the other guys who are hurting. But as we said, let's start with Besser, who is skating after practice today. Uh, he's been skating with the injured guys for the last four or five days, I think now. Any idea of progress when you make it That I don't have any idea right now. I mean, as I would, you know, obviously we want him back when he's ready to come back, but and not before, but he, he's determined. He wants to get back as soon as possible. So I'm uh, just crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. Mikheyev and or Dermot? Uh, Dermot, nothing. Uh, Mikheyev, uh, we're hoping, we're hoping, and he's hoping that he can start skating tomorrow. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, after nearly 50 years, the Canada Games pool has seen its last lap. A deep dive into its history next. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Jordan Armstrong's on the night shift with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, we have some startling video to show you from Highway 19 in Nanus Bay. Have a look. A doorbell camera captures the moment today a big rig driver fails to navigate a curve in the highway and smashes through a fence and collides with a house. The driver was taken to hospital, apparently still conscious. At 11, a closer look at the damage, plus we hear from witnesses to that crash. Also tonight is the last Surrey Council meeting before the election, but one councillor says she will boycott it. Find out why at 11. Chris. We'll tune in tonight. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, it is the end of an era for the Canada Games Pool in New Westminster. The wrecking ball was lowered today. That's right. As Aaron MacArthur shows us, many residents will forever have fond memories about that facility. For 50 years, it stood as the heartbeat of a community. Monday, it was torn apart, piece by piece. The demolition of the Canada Games Pool, the end of an era in New Westminster. Swimming, diving, and water polo. Hard to believe this was considered state-of-the-art in 1973. Not much to look at, but it sat at the center of community life for so many people. It makes me realize how much time has passed and how many generations have grown up with this pool and with this facility. A flood in 2021 exposed some significant issues with the building. The city forced to scrap it 
two years earlier than anticipated. The building, such an integral part of the city, they threw a party so people could reminisce about it. The kids took lessons here. Lots of memories here. The city well on its way to replacing the pool and community center. But some local residents say it's wasteful to tear down such a usable building. They could have kept the structure the way it is and just utilized the inside of it. You know, multi-purpose gym, basketball, whatever. The new community center expected to be open late in 2023. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's going to be some facility when it's finished, no doubt about it. Squire made a good point. Mm -hmm. Can a swimming pool flood? <laughs> it's very ironic when a swimming pool floods. <laughs> Proven it can happen. Very good point, Squire. Thank you. Uh, all right, Christy, looks like a nice uh, sunset out there, but uh, we'll see a lot more sun the next few days. Absolutely. So our summer-like weather continues, it looks like, for at least the next seven days as this big upper-level ridge dominates. Tomorrow you can expect highs to range from 20 to 24, but potentially 26 degrees away from the water come the weekend. Back to you. No flannel sheets for a little while, that's for sure. All right, thanks very much, Christy, and thank you all for watching. We'll leave you with that beautiful shot chosen by our director, Sam, of the sunset. Isn't that nice? Have a good night. Good night, all.